All right, church, as you're seated, get those Bibles. If you don't have them open by now, uh, grab them and open them up and make your way to Psalm 11. As you do that, uh, let me just give a, a little bit of an encouragement for you to keep going. Keep, keep, stay consistent. Um, you know, many, many weeks ago, the church made the financial investment in order to uh, make these resources available to all of our families uh, praying through the Psalms. And so, uh, if you're not aware of this resource, just see me after the service and I'll uh, fill you in on the details. For those that have these books, I would encourage you to stay with it. Keep going. Stay consistent. Be consistent. Create that time in your schedule so that you can take the time to be reading through the text prior to coming on Sundays and not just reading, but praying through the text. If you... Open this book this week, then uh, let me just read uh, a couple of things that you would have been encouraged by. I think you would have been encouraged by the summary that's given to us. It says, and the summary sentence is that the Lord is the only trustworthy refuge who, in His holiness, lovingly tests and delivers the righteous while simultaneously bringing the wicked to sudden and final judgment. Towards the end of the introduction, uh, it says that the Lord is the King who sees and tests all. The Lord's loving holiness will test the righteousness uh, and the righteous, cultivating deeper trust within His people. Conversely, He is vehemently opposed to the wicked, bringing them to sudden and final ruin. Then the psalm ends as it began by confidently extolling the righteousness of God, His character and His deeds. And in the end, it is the upright who have the privilege of beholding the Lord's face and standing in His protective and holy presence. Only the righteous have the privilege to behold the face of the Lord. Now that's the end of the psalm. We need to start from the beginning of this psalm. I want you to understand that this particular psalm really isn't a prayer. It's more of a faith-filled response that David gives in response to those that were urging and encouraging him to flee and to, or to run from his enemies. Now the historical setting of this psalm is relatively unknown. We know that the Bible records two occasions when David ran to Jerusalem. One of those was when King Saul turned against him. And the other time was when his own son turned against him. Now, whether this psalm was written during either of those occasions, uh, we really don't know. But what we do know is that David was crystal clear in his confidence in the Lord. So Psalm 11 gives us the proper response in the midst of a great crisis. And so let's begin with verse 1. Verse 1 says, In the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? And so the psalm begins with David's response to the suggestion of his advisors that he flee in the face of danger. 
David, ultimately, he marveled at their suggestion that comes from the faint-hearted because it defied his confidence in his Lord. You, you see that his initial declaration, in the Lord I take refuge, goes against their suggestion for him to run or to hide. And as believers, we must be firmly grounded and rooted in the truth that Ultimately, our lives are in the hands of God. So we must trust Him. So to trust Him with our lives does not mean that we just act unwisely and do whatever we want to do. It does not mean that we act foolishly or carelessly. No, we should be diligent in taking care of our bodies. We should seek to exercise caution and in good sense. We should seek good counsel from godly people in our lives. After all, Proverbs chapter 9, verse number 11, tells us that wisdom will multiply our days and add years to our lives. But here's the thing. The reality is, each and every one of us has an appointment with death. We can't escape that reality. God's Word declares that in very direct terms. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 9, verse number 27, it says, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after that comes the judgment. So, so, so knowing that we all have an appointment with death does not mean that we ought to live our lives in, in fear of what could happen. No, rather than living in fear of the unknown, we ought to live in faith of what is known. And so we should live in the confidence of knowing that our Lord will be with us. He will guide us. He will direct us. He will protect us. Our Lord will never leave us, abandon us, forsake us, or forget us. And when our time on earth is complete, when we have finally finished doing the good works that we were created to do, no, our Lord will transfer us from this temporary place into the eternal glory. And so that's why with, with boldness and with confidence, David can declare, in the Lord I take refuge. How can you say to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For behold, the wicked bend the bow. They make ready their arrow upon the string. They sh or to shoot in darkness at the upright in heart. If the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? The thing is, when, when trouble strikes, uh, the first impulse for many people is to run or to hide. So many people will ruin their lives in an attempt to escape from their problems. Think about it. Countless people become addicted to drugs and to alcohol, wrecking devastation upon themselves and their families, all because they repeatedly turn to those things for a few moments of relief. But when the substance wears off, the problems remain. This past year, in 2023, more than 
50,000 Americans intentionally ended their lives. More than 50,000 Americans who were overwhelmed with their problems or, or, or their pain and they felt as though they had no other option or they just could no longer deal with it, chose to end their lives. That is uh, the, the largest number ever recorded. And they, they took that run or that escape to a drastic end. When life gets hard, so many people will quit their jobs, they'll move, divorce their spouses, abandon their children. Rather than directly dealing with the problems or the pain, they will take drastic measures to to leave or to escape. The reality is that people who are prone to run from their problems only hide from them for a short time. Because eventually those problems return or they come back to surface. They're still the the same people that they've always been. And unless they live by faith, unless they persevere in the power of God, they will waste the rest of their lives attempting to run from their problems or attempting to escape from life's troubles. In this psalm, we see that rather than run, we must face our problems with faith and confidence in God. God does not want us to go around our problems, but rather He's getting us through those problems. Not only that, He promises us the grace and the strength so that we might persevere in the midst of those trials. In 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. Anybody been distressed by various trials? Absolutely. Right? It says, So that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. You understand that trials are the proving ground of our faith. And when compared to eternity, our trials, our problems, those, those setbacks, the duration of them are, are for a short while. They're... they're Small and insignificant in comparison to eternity. And so Peter stressed that our joy is independent of our circumstances. And James says the same thing in, in, in James chapter 1, verse number 2. He says, To consider it all joy, my brethren, whenever you encounter various trials. See, our trials are an occasion for an expression of joy in our lives. And although these trials may cause temporary grief, they cannot diminish that deep abiding joy that is rooted in the living hope of Jesus Christ. And so our our trials have have two results in our lives. First of all, they, they, they refine, they purify, they strengthen our faith. 
And secondly, they prove the reality or the existence of our faith. It was Adrian Rogers. Was a, one time he was a, the three-time president of the Southern Baptist Convention. Adrian Rogers is as quoted as once saying that a faith that cannot be tested cannot be trusted. Let's pick back up in verse number 4. Because verse 4 says that the, the Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold, His eyelids test the sons of men. The Lord tests the righteous and the wicked. And the one who loves violence, His soul hates. Upon the wicked, He will rain snares. Fire and brimstone and burning wind will be the portion of their cup. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold His face. You see, David refused to focus on the approaching threat of his enemies. Instead, he chose to place his focus, his attention, upon his Lord. See, when you look around, you'll see the problems. But rather than looking around and seeing the problems, we ought to look up by faith and see the Lord who is the answer to the problems that are all around us. Verse number 4 says that his eyes behold, and more specifically, his eyelids test the sons of men. So eyelids will contract or, or they'll squint when they're examining something very closely. And so David is kind of trying to paint the picture for us. And he's declaring the omniscience of God. That God in His all-seeing eyes will squint carefully in order to penetrate and to discern the heart of every individual. He sees everything. When the Lord squints those eyes to discern the hearts, when He discerns the heart of the wicked, He will bring about His divine judgment. He will rain judgment upon the wicked the way He rained judgment down on Sodom and Gomorrah. His judgment will destroy the wicked like scorching fire, wind, ultimate destruction. The wicked will drink the cup from the full cup of God's wrath. But on the other hand, as those eyelids squint in order to penetrate the heart and to examine each individual, what happens when the Lord discovers the, the righteous heart? The, the heart that's, that's committed unto Him. Well, well what happens when, when the Lord's looking and He's examining and He's saying, oh no, that's not one of the wicked, that's one of my children's heart. What happens then? The answer to that is found in 2 Chronicles chapter 16. Verse number 9, it says that, For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that He may strongly support those whose heart is completely His. 
that He may strongly support those whose heart belongs to Him. So when the Lord discovers the, the heart of the righteous, the heart of His children, then He strengthens and, and purifies that heart. And so the reality check for us in this moment is that God will oppose or He'll allow opposition or, or trials or, or crisis in our lives so that they can produce certain results from us. And though these things are, are to be received with an attitude of joy, not necessarily for them, but in them, that we should have joy. Because our, our confidence is, is rooted in Christ, not in the situation, right? And so God will use those oppositions or, or trials in our lives, and He does so in order to strengthen us, to purify us, to reveal our true, authentic faith. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. See, David viewed his current problem, that, that, that crisis in his life, he viewed it as an opportunity for him to grow and, and, and to become stronger in his faith. Okay, here, here's the lesson of, of Psalm 11. What do we do when we face a crisis? What are we to do when the opposition against us is great? What are we to do when our trials are ever increasing, maybe in duration, maybe in strength? What are we to do? Well, here's a couple of things. First of all, we're to stop looking around and to start looking up. Stop looking and focusing on the problems, but rather look up to God and in faith and look to the answer to those problems. Secondly, we should know that God sees everything that's going on. Nothing escapes God. Nothing is hidden from Him. No word spoken, no action taken, no thought considered is beyond God's knowledge. He is constantly observing, constantly examining each and every heart. Which means, in this very moment, the eyes of our Lord are examining all of our hearts. Thirdly, we should expect for trials to come. And when they come, we should rejoice in them because we should see them as an opportunity to strengthen our faith and to make our faith known unto the world. Number four, we should rest assured that God will eventually judge all of the wicked. All of those that inflict violence upon others, they will all be judged in accordance to God's timing. 
and they will experience the full wrath of his cuff. And then finally, number five, until then, as children of God, we should continue to walk in righteousness. We walk in righteousness and we live in hope of God's eternal reward for faithfulness. What is that eternal reward? Well, he gives us a glimpse of it back in verse number 7. Again, verse 7. For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. The upright will behold his face. Oh, that is profoundly significant. You see, the wicked will be separated from the Lord throughout all eternity. The wicked will experience, they will taste from the full cup of God's wrath. Right? Now, well, we love to quote John 3.16, and rightfully so, about the, the love of God for the world, that He gave His only begotten Son. Now, that's a beautiful verse to quote and to share. Right? But we should also equally Love the word from John 3, verse number 36, the last verse in that chapter. John 3, 36 says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. God's wrath remains on that person. And so for the righteous... For those who repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Savior and the Lord of your life, there's something beautiful that awaits you. In fact, the Apostle John affirms the wonderful promise of Psalm 11, verse number 7, where John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2, there he says, Beloved, now as God's children... And it has not appeared as yet what will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Because we will see Him just as He is. What a great promise. What a great privilege. To behold the glory of God in all its majesty. But the right to do that is given only to those who belong to Him. If you belong to Him, repenting of your sin and trusting in the Savior, then as those trials come, as those hardships are faced in life, may you see them as an opportunity for your faith to be strengthened and for your faith to be declared among the watching eyes of this world. And it's because of that that we are able to consider it joy. The joy to declare the, the truth of God's love and His grace towards other people. And sometimes God will allow those trials and those difficulties, whether they're temporary or long seasons of life, so that we might be fully strengthened and so that He might receive the glory and praise that's due unto Him. The only way you get to behold the face of Jesus is if you belong to God through faith in His Son.
The only way that you can do that is to confess your sins, to repent from those sins, and to trust in Christ for your salvation. Because without Christ, you have no hope of heaven, period. There is no other way. No other way. It's not about being good enough because good is not the standard. Perfection is, and none of us are perfect, but his son was. And in his perfect righteousness, he laid down his life for our sin. So that those who are with sin, if we would believe in him, put our faith and trust in him, submit and surrender our lives unto him, then he'll do a beautiful exchange. He'll take our imperfection and he'll grant us his perfection. He'll take our unrighteousness and clothe us with his righteousness. So that in the end, only his children can behold his face. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, help us to be honest in this moment. Because there are those that have not fully submitted and surrendered their lives unto you. God, I pray that if it is your will, that your spirit would bring that conviction and produce that confession in their life. There are plenty that are here, either in this room or watching or listening, that think they're getting away with their sin, that are convinced that they have other people fooled and that they, their sin isn't hurting or harming anyone. Father, may your Spirit bring great conviction upon those hearts, Father. Help them to know that nothing escapes you. That you know all things and you see all things. There's no place that we can run to to hide from you and your all-knowing and all-seeing self. Father, I pray that we would be honest about our lives. I pray that we would confess any sins that need to be confessed and that we would commit to doing the things that you have called us to do. Frankly, Father, you have called us to make disciples. We have neglected that process for far too long. Give us an understanding of what it means to make disciples and grant us the burden to be about the disciple-making process. And help this church to to truly become a disciple-making church. God, during this song of response, may you be pleased, may you be honored, and may you be glorified. In Christ's name I pray.